Today is February the 28th, 2008, and you're listening to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre, and coming to you from the Fountain Room of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Laura Denker. Welcome to the Hinterviews podcast. In each episode, we hope to take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In today's Hinterview podcast, Peter speaks with Yvette Nolan, Artistic Director of Native Earth Performing Arts in Toronto and Director of Death of a Chief, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar interpreted through the lens of contemporary band politics. For more information about Death of a Chief, visit the NAC English Theatre web feature at nac-cna.ca. Just go to English Theatre and click on Death of a Chief. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for coming to the interview this afternoon. Um, we're very, very fortunate this afternoon to have Yvette Nolan as our guest. And uh, I want you to join in welcoming Yvette to the NAC. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Yvette is a playwright, a dramaturg, and a director. In 1996, she was the Aboriginal Writer-in-Residence at Brandon University, where she wrote the first draft of a play called Annie May's Movement. And that play, since that time, has had a very uh, healthy life playing in Whitehorse, Winnipeg, Halifax, Toronto, and Vancouver, and what am I missing? Regina Re and Peterborough. <laughs> Regina and Peterborough, the crowned heads of Europe tour. Uh, Yvette's directing credits include The Only Good Indian and Triple Truth for Turtle Gals, Tales of an Urban Indian, uh, The Unnatural and Accidental Women, which is a play by Marie Clements that she directed for Native Earth, uh, Girl Who Loved Her Horses, The Boy Who Went to the Moon, Someday the Fasting Girl. As a dramaturg, she's worked across the country and is respected by playwrights and artists all over our country. And she was the editor of Beyond the Pale, dramatic writing from First Nations writers and writers of color. She was the president of the Playwrights Union of Canada from 1998 to 2001, and of Playwrights Canada Press from 2003 to 2005. Currently, she's the artistic director of Native Earth Performing Arts, and we're very proud that she's one of our playwrights in residence here at the NAC this year. So please join me in welcoming Yvette Nolan. Um, Yvette, I thought I'd open the conversation with, you know, in looking at the work that you've done and the dedication you've made in your creative life has been to so much new work and being a director and a playwright. What's the journey that brought you to Shakespeare and to Death of a Chief? Or um, yeah. 
<laughs> I know it's broad, but one of my in, one of my favorite plays is the Real Thing by Tom Stoppard, who's a British writer, and uh, in it he talks about and it's about art and love, the two like things that exist. And one of the things he talks about is uh, Henry has this speech. Uh, where he's talking about the importance of art and, and his wife says, yeah, yeah, right, there's Shakespeare out in front and you lot strung out behind. <laughs> and so there's a little bit of that in it for me, that, that Shakespeare is so far out in front that almost everyone, like everyone says, when you, do, when you go to see bad theatre or mediocre theatre or unfinished theatre or unprepared theatre or hairless and featherless theatre, you come out and you go, well, it ain't Shakespeare. <laughs> So that's like what we all aspire to is Shakespeare. On the other hand, as an Aboriginal woman in, in the theatre, um, all I'm really interested in is voice, is our voices, our stories, whether that's women's stories, women's voices, Aboriginal voices. We have a lot of stories yet to tell in the, of coming out of this land. Um, Canadian voices, like what it means to be living together here on this land. I think there's so much, there's so many uh, voices that still need to be given the forum, to be given the stage to speak. And that's why I've spent so much time helping to birth these voices onto the stage. Having said that, there's still that Shakespeare grounding. Like Julius Caesar was my first play and my first Shakespeare play. And some of you would remember the CBC Stratford productions they used to broadcast on CBC. And I was living in Macintosh. I was like two or three and I saw Julius Caesar with my mother and we watched it on television. And and Bruno Gerussi was in that production. <laughs> sure, yeah. Bruno Gerussi, yes, people are nodding. Yes, I remember that. And And my father would come home from work and my mother would quiz me for my father about what we'd seen or done and she's like and what happened to Caesar and I said they killed him and she said and what what did Caesar say as they killed him and I said tee Brutus <laughs> <laughs> and so here I am like 45 years down the road watching every night um, my company of actors going it too, Brute. <laughs> and thinking of my mother, um, who taught me about Shakespeare and who taught herself about Shakespeare. She was an Aboriginal woman from Kitiganzibi, which is just up the road from you guys here, and um, who went, who was taking to residential school, sanatorium and residential school at seven years, at seven years old and never back to her community. And so she's a bit, she learned what she learned in high, in high school and residential school, and then she was an autodidact. She taught herself everything, and at the same time taught me. So it's a very deep connection for me to this play in particular, and Shakespeare in the general. I had awesome teachers, and we all, those of us who make theater, want to create legacy. We want to last. And so I guess that's why we all want to be Shakespeare. We all want to create stories that will stay so that 500 years from now, if any of us are lucky enough to be left on this land, we can look back at what we were saying at this time. Hmm. It's, uh, do, do you, are you aware of a difference when you're rehearsing a Shakespeare text with an Aboriginal company uh, than if you were doing it with a mixed company or with a primarily Caucasian company? Do you, are there, you able to identify a difference or 
there's, you know, there's a million differences, starting with many of our performers um, don't come, have not come through uh, traditional training, conservatory programs, or the National Theater School, which has graduated one Aboriginal actor in its history. Um, so we don't have the kind of the same kind of training, which is one of the ways that this project started. Vera, you've heard all this story already, so sorry, bear with me. Um, uh, so one of the things that we have to do when we do this work is is provide the tools to learn to use the text and to speak the text. It's not as hard as everyone likes to believe it is, and I hope that's what you see when you see the show, is how clearly the actors, how clear the text is. They know what they're saying, and therefore you know what they're saying, and I know what they're saying, and that's what makes it easy to direct, because when they don't know what they're saying, I know that they don't know what they're saying because I don't know what they're saying. And then I go, stop, what are you saying? And they go, I don't know, and I'm like, try to know. Um. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because it really does open up uh, a rehearsal that with a, a new play you make the assumption that everyone does know what they're saying and that's and, just not true and it's not true nobody ever knows what they're saying once you when you start the process and you know i i was working i've worked with uh, Kathy Kennedy McKinnon who used to coach at Stratford and is teaches at um, Humber College and she's kind of the the big cheese in terms of Shakespeare text and Shakespeare coaching and uh, she's been, like, it's been very easy to work together because she's the Shakespeare geek in the room. She knows always what's, well, how things are supposed to go together and she's able to ask the actors the right questions to make them think about what they're saying and find the, the way through the words because in Shakespeare the way is the words. The other differences are, you know, we're not just... Like someone said to us in Toronto, so you're doing Julius Caesar. Is it, is it going to be Aboriginal? <laughs> and it's like, well, we're all Aboriginal performers and creators, and therefore, no. We're, we thought we just put on some little dresses with, you know, the push-up. I don't know. Um, there's no way for us as Aboriginal theatre artists to not bring that to the room. You know, we don't leave our Indianness at the door when we walk in. We have to, we're, we are our histories. And, and that's a lot of what the front end of the show, which you'll see this afternoon, is about how we are connected to our ancestors. They're with us all the way behind us. And how what we're doing is trying to make the ground fertile for the next generation and generations. And, uh, and so, of course... All of that informs the work that we do in the rehearsal hall. And so we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time talking about how this story resonates in our communities. Mm. I remember once working on a period text with a, an actress in Toronto, Stephanie Samuels, and she's an African-Canadian woman, and uh, we're working our way through this play, and she <laughs> says, we gotta, we got to talk about this word, black. Because black in a Shakespeare text can mean um, everything from uh, malignant evil to the impossibility of the imagination. And we really looked at the text to evaluate when is the word black being used because that's exactly what Shakespeare meant or where was that part of a cultural racist inherited inheritance of black meaning bad. And those kinds of collisions of our own culture today with an artifact from 400 years ago, right, 
I think are very interesting. And surely there must have been a lot of that because uh, Julius Caesar is such an interesting play about leadership, politics, revenge. And uh, honor. Honor. Honor is the subject of my story. Uh-huh. And that's a big word in our communities. That's a big, that's a big word and a big ideal. And so it, it kind of frames the whole play for us. Like, how do we, what do we talk about when we talk about honor? And, and you know, Brutus is an honorable man, even though he's participated in the killing of this leader. And, and then Brutus is, you know, buried with all rights of honor at the end, even though he has killed himself. And so it's a thing that we've struggled with, the, the idea of honor, but it's the thing that we are struggling with within our communities as well as we try to achieve self-government, as we try to choose leaders in an honorable way, and then we expect them to perform honorably, and we are so often disappointed. And then what do we do with that? Which is really just Shakespeare's story too, right? (laughs) There's other things you've um, uh, experimented with and investigated, which is uh, gender. Oh, yeah. Uh, How did that come about? You'll see this afternoon where women are playing guys. Yeah, the company is is six women and three men. And uh, part of that is... We just have way more depth in the in the Aboriginal community in um, women in performance because guys uh, get a little bit of training and then they get picked to go off and do movies because as in everything, there's way more roles for men. There's way more roles for Aboriginal men because there's always warriors and you know warriors and <coughs> there's warriors. <laughs> um, <coughs> And there's just not that many roles for women ever, and that still hasn't changed. And so the women do a lot more stage work. They do a lot more training. And the men, it's hard to keep men, you know. We had an old, we had another Brutus before, up until um, September, I guess. Hey, Catherine? We had another Brutus. Uh, you would know him if, you ever see, if you've ever seen the Royal Canadian Air Force on television. He's um, Craig Lazon. And he's one of their, he's one of the young guys on, uh, one of the young hip guys on Air Force. And he does a lot of the writing and a lot of the performance. And he had negotiated time off to do this project here because he's been with the project for three years. He's done all of the training and learned all of the words. And, and um, then Air Force went live this year and they said to Craig, yeah, no, you can't have the time off. And so we lost our Brutus that we had been training for this period of time because he's doing television. And... Um, Lauren is Lauren Cardinal's in the production as Calpurnius, but only because Corner Gas is in hiatus right now. So the guys have TV and film, and the women don't, uh, for the most part, because all all sort of Aboriginal women's roles. <laughs> there's another show called The Only Good Indian. They they all play um, dead. They all end up all the roles for Aboriginal women end up dead. Really, that's kind of like. I'm making these sweeping generalizations today, but this is how it feels on this side of it. So we had lots of women training all the way through. There were 20-some-odd actors who participated in the development of the work, nine on stage. Um, And because in the Rome that we're making on stage, which is Rome, Ontario, and not Rome, Italy, 
we imagined ourselves into what kind of society we would be if we were just a little into the future. And one of, the, one of our values is gender equity. So our leaders can be women as well as men. And then, and then we had to struggle with, well, if we, our leaders were women, then would we be functional? And you know, would we be honorable? And would we not kill ourselves? But we're still do, undoing you know, 500 years of, of contact. And so it's, I don't know that our women will be any better as leaders in that next moment. So our Caesar is a woman. Our Mark Antony is a woman. Our Cassius is a woman. Our Brutus is a man. Our Calpurnius is a man. And these are all played by women playing women, men playing men. And then their other characters are sometimes different gendered. Michaela Washburn plays Casca as a man, but plays Octavius as a woman. Um because some of them have two or three characters and have made choices. And did that come about in the workshops where you would go, where do you change the gender in the script and where do you have a man play a woman or? It's very, it did come about in the workshop. We spent a lot of time talking about whether we were going to be women playing men or women women as women and changing all the pronouns because they're two very different things, we think. Like bringing your, your reality as a woman to a leadership position has a, different, has a different weight than being a woman playing a man in a leadership position. We have talked and talked so much about this and it was a very late, the last workshop in June, which the National Arts Centre afforded us, um, was when we decided that Caesar was a woman and we changed all the pronouns. That was the that was as far as we were willing to go at that time. So at the end of that workshop, we decided, okay, Caesar is a, a woman, Mark Antony is a woman, Calpurnius is a man. We made those choices at that time. That's how late in the process we decided about gender. And yet, you know, what's neat in those texts is you think Shakespeare wrote for boys. That's right. Playing. So there already is in the dramaturgy an idea about other and gender switches that an audience would have understood in the same way that in Julius Caesar is full of anachronisms historically. There's a, isn't one of Mark Antony's speeches referred to as a pulpit speech, which (laughs) you wouldn't have had in ancient Rome, (laughs) uh, a good Christian pulpit up there to speak from. Or uh, So what might sound or feel very modern has a tradition in the text itself. Yeah. Um, What effect do you think this work on Death of a Chief will bring to uh, contemporary work again for the artists involved, for you as a playwright? Does it make you, did you, in working on the Shakespeare, go, wow, uh, affect your own ideas about writing or... Um, well, he is always with me, Will, so it always affects he's yeah. right there all the time. It always affects everything. Um, I think it will make a big change for the the company, both the company of actors and the company Native Earth and all of everyone because it's it's such a big thing and it's such a big achievement. And, I mean, there are papers out there, academic papers, with academics saying that they did not think, they do not think that this show will ever be produced. And, you know, haha. <laughs> why, why would they say that? Why? Why? Um, I guess just because of the the steepness of the mountain. Um, it, it feels to me like 
certainly it felt when we were doing it that we could go on forever developing it and developing ourselves and developing our, the skills and developing all of that stuff. And, you know, we would show at the end of every workshop, we would show to a little audience or sometimes a bigger audience what we were working on. But it's, a, it's different showing what you're working on in the moment to what we're doing here, which is a full production on a stage with all the support. Um, so I think that raises the bar for everybody, you know, that we have done this, it's like, okay, now we can do almost anything because this was really, the last few days before before we started having audiences, people got really, really anxious in a way that I've never seen them because what do we think we're doing, doing Shakespeare at the National Arts Center, you know, and that self-doubt which is one of the things that we are grappling with in the play as well as in our communities, as well as at the National Arts Centre. Like, how dare we succeed? Well, I just think, you know, right on. I mean, that's why <laughs> doing Julius Caesar at the National Arts Centre with Native Earth, that's what it, it, it should be, and that's what our, our culture must be for that work to survive and be saved from the museum, and to bring that bar to our artists. Uh, Native Earth celebrates a very, it's a big year, eh? 25 years, which uh, makes me feel old remembering that, those early days. Yeah, and yet 25 years is not so long, you know, really when you think about it, Canadian theatre is only this big anyway, like... You know, my theory, my, it's not my theory, it's Bob Wallace's theory that Canadian theatre started in 1969 with the ecstasy of Rita Joe, contemporary Canadian theatre. Before that, we were doing plays, but we were doing other people's plays. And that was the beginning of an actual Canadian contemporary voice. And so that, if that's 69, Native Earth was founded in 1982. It's the oldest Aboriginal theatre company in the country, professional. And and that's not very long. That's not a that's not a huge amount of time. Um, there are still very few Aboriginal performing arts organizations with any resources at all in the country. So, it's it's created a lot of artists and a lot of work. A lot of people have passed through Native Earth in twenty five years, who are now all over the country doing the work. Um, but it's still a pretty thin little blanket of artists. Yeah, it's been a huge year. I mean, we've done, this is huge for us. Um, the big birthday present being here, but we've also done, um, we did a Wissakajak festival. It's our festival of new work in the fall. And, um, in May, Triple Truth is a touring show that's touring through Ontario that Turtle Gals, who you'll see all of them in the, in the show today. Um, it's, it's, um, Jani Lazan and, Sherry Maracle and Phelan Johnson and Michelle St. John. They're in this show, but they also have their own company called Turtle Gals. And they're touring a show in Ontario. We have a calendar of our artists. We have, we've, ha we've had comedy nights and film nights. And like, it's just been like every week, yay, let's celebrate some more, some more cake. So it's been a huge year for us in terms of acknowledging everybody who's ever been connected to the company and those who are coming up. Right on. Well, we're really uh, honored to be part of that celebration and uh, congratulate the company and your work there. Um, I wanted to just open up the floor at this point for some questions from some of you that you might have for Yvette about 
native earth, about her work, or about the per death of a chief? Yeah. Should television be playing a larger role, and I'm thinking of CBC television, in getting native stories told rather than using natives almost as sitcom stories? Did everyone hear the question? But should television be playing a larger role in telling Aboriginal stories? Um, yes, you know, and not not just Aboriginal stories, but sort of all the stories of all the others, because television is still pretty um, pretty white and not really reflective of where we are at in this country. Um, you know, and things are starting to happen. And you're right; they'd like to start with sitcoms because it's easier to digest. They think. There have been some. There's been some stuff on television that that does start to reflect what I think we look like, and I'm hopeful that will continue. It's hard if it's hard to do it in a way because the people who have the power still have an idea of what we are, and so they have an idea of what we can present on television, and so we're being we're being mitigated. We're being we're being interpreted by a white producer who has the white money, um, who then has an idea of what a white audience will accept about us. So until we get Aboriginal producers and Abor Aboriginal writers who have that skill set and Aboriginal directors, and it's starting to happen. I mean, Jenny Podemski is making work um, with her company. There's a show on called Rabbit Fall that's all Aboriginal created. Um, there's, you know, it's starting to happen. It takes a while. And it takes a while to develop the skill set in our communities as well because we don't have that kind of history and there's just not that many of us who've had the opportunities. So short answer, yes. Long answer, it, it's going to take time. Thank you. Uh, anyone else? George. I uh, hear today you give a list of uh, cities where you were, you were, you were, you were, you were, you were, you were played. But I was kind of impressed to see that is there are you play are you presenting this place to your own audience to to, to, to the Aboriginals because they it is a huge tool to bring them up to a, to a higher level of, of existence. Just wonder is there anything happening there? So the question is, do does Native Earth or will this production play to Aboriginal audiences? Is that okay? Yeah, this one uh, won't will play to ironically more Aboriginal people here because my reserve is sending eighty kids on Thursday to see it, and there's been quite a few First Nations audience members over the past week, more than we see in Toronto at a Native Earth show. Um, so that's interesting to me. Uh, we certainly, we see way more Aboriginal audience when we go to them. So the Triple Truth, which is the show that we're touring in the fall, will go to into lots of communities where there's lots of First Nations. And then we see a lot, they see a lot of our work. It's hard to, to take this kind of a show to them uh, because of the size of it, because of the expense of it, because of all of the bells and whistles that go with it. Okay, drums and whistles. <laughs> um, but we're always aware that we need to do both of those things. We toured a show called Tales of an Urban Indian 
a couple of years. Actually, we toured it three years in a row, which is a one-man show about an Aboriginal boy who come, go, leaves his reserve and moves to the city and gets into all the trouble you can get into in the city and then has to find his way back out of that. And it's a very important play for young Aboriginal people because most of them will leave the reserve and come to the city and get into all of the trouble that you can get into in the city and then have to find their way out of that. So it's a bit of a like a template for that. Um, and we toured that, we've toured that all over the country, all over Ontario. Uh, it was done in New York. Daryl just did a performance of it in New York. They want it in LA. So it's, and that's a play that we developed at Native Earth that has a very specific audience. I mean, non-Native audiences appreciate it, but it really speaks to Native audiences in a different way. Yeah, it's a balancing act for us because it's also important that our artists have the opportunities to be on these big stages and these and these well-resourced theatres and not just in gymnasiums and friendship centres because if we're going to be as good, we, ha we need those opportunities to practice our craft. Uh, yeah. Quick comment and a question. Uh, we saw a very good production of Julius Caesar with Caesar as John F. Kennedy. And it worked, I think, for the people who had lived through the Kennedy years. Uh, my own experience got in the way. You know, everybody of my generation remembered where they were when they heard of Kennedy's death. Uh, what do you see about uh, in differences between adapting a play the way you're doing and just changing the, uh, the time and place? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, for us, you'll see in ours that, that there's, we've kind of, it's only an hour and 25 minutes, an hour and 22 last night. Um, <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> but who's counting? The director is. <laughs> um, but a lot of the information is still in there, but we've busted it up and layered it in a way. So some of the things that that um, that used to be text are now visual, happening at the same time as other things are happening on stage. That's an adaptation. There's language in it, uh, Ojibwe, Kuna, Mohawk. At different times, the plebs tend to speak um, in their own languages while some of them are speaking in English. Um, we are in a different time period. We are just slightly ahead of this moment in time, which gave us the freedom to be whatever we wanted to. Um, and then there's the whole, like, our practice tends to have music and movement and singing and image in it holistically, naturally. We don't, we very rarely do work without those things in it, even though, you know, we're always aware of the cliche factor, like, oh, is it Indian? There's going to be drums? And it's like, well, yeah, there's drum. <laughs> and it's not because, it's because that's, that's part of our tradition in so many cases. Um, and because the drum for us is the heartbeat of Mother Earth, that's where that comes from. And, uh, and so it's, if we are trying to be functional, we need to remain connected to that thing, which is the heartbeat, which is the land, which is the heartbeat of the earth. So that's why the drum is important to Aboriginal nations, and that's why it's you'll hear it a lot in today's work, um, because we're trying to remind ourselves where we come from and how we're connected to it. I think... 
I think it, everything can work. I think Shakespeare has enough flexibility and resonance that you can adapt it. And one, you know, we all, we always make suggestions of adaptations for people to read to sort of for con, you know contextualize Death of a Chief. But you can also place it in another period, like the Scottish play that I'm sure most of you saw here, that made perfect sense in that period and said very very close to what we're saying as well in, in Death of a Chief with a different play in a different period. So I think I think there's flexibility in Shakespeare and uh, for both adaptation or just, you know, period shifting. Uh, we have time for one more question. Yes. Such a great question. How'd you come up with this one? <laughs> um, it's so, for me, the, Caesar was like such an easy pick. Like if we're going to do a Shakespeare, um, this story is so, needed almost no adaptation in a way because it's so much about what we're struggling with as in our communities right now. You know, how we choose leaders and how we support them or get rid of them. And you, you've all seen the papers, you've seen the struggles that we have in some of our communities with, you know, the distribution of resources and, you know, the things we're struggling with as a result of contact. Um, so there, it was a really easy choice for me. Kathy, my co-director, co-adapters now, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? How about Henry IV? How about Henry IV? And I love Henry IV, but it's like, uh, you know, I can't think about another Shakespeare right now. Well, uh, we certainly look forward to uh, Death of a Chief and uh, all the future work that you do and Native Earth. And please join me in thanking again Yvette and wishing Native Earth a happy, happy anniversary. That's all for this interview's podcast. I hope you'll join us again next time when Peter will be talking with Rick Chafe, playwright, about his career and his new play Shakespeare's Dog, an imaginative and refreshing take on the early life of the great bard. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. Until next month, this is Laura Denker for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.